0: Use the promo code Blue Wire to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make Dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's OmahaSteaks.com promo code BlueWire Wire at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just eighty nine dollars.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go go go. in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Say Metro by T-Mobile got the best deal in wireless and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly because Metro has two lines for 80 and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be. Only at Metro
3: plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, roto B?
2: Hey everyone, welcome on Into RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at RotoViz. I'm back with Dr. Jeff Budoff and we are talking auction drafts yet again. Jeff has had a couple of auctions for this year uh that he just did this past weekend, so I'm sure he is ready to get back into all things auctions. Uh but again, They are so much fun. So, Jeff, how much fun did you have in your – I think it was two auctions that you did this past weekend.
4: Yep. uh, Two last weekend, two coming up this weekend. And then my oldest son has one. I'll help him. And then my wife the following weekend, believe it or not, she wants to try one. She wants to get in on the action.
2: Nice. Well, I'm uh, hoping that that she gets absolutely hooked so then, you know, you can just have like as much access to needing to explore fantasy as is needed.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great.
2: (laughs) All right. So tonight, um, I want to cover just a couple of simple topics. And then we are going to talk about some goals that are probably good to head into an auction with. And then we're going to talk about some mistakes that we have each made in auctions, uh, as I think that you can learn the most from the mistakes that you make in these types of drafts. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. I think the first thing that a lot of people will be interested in this episode is how do you go about making your nominations? What are the things that you should be thinking about when you're nominating players? I see a lot of different type of advice get floated out on this topic. Not sure that I agree with all of it, but how do you go about selecting the guys that you're going to put up for nomination?
4: You know, the first thing is this is a crucial topic. This is how you steer the auction to your advantage. This is not something, especially early on, you pun just trying to like make people spend an extra $3 on a defense or try to get a defense um, that you you know want or something. This is something where you really want to take advantage. You only get a few nominations, just one around. So you got to make it count. You can start runs. Um, you can get... Players that uh, you think uh, the website Yahoo, ESPN, for example, have underrated that you're not interested in, you want people to really pay through the nose for. And what I do is I do a lot of mocks, right? Yep. And then I uh, I figure out who I want to nominate, and I actually write things down. I'm a big believer in writing things down. So if I may, on Yahoo. My first nomination will be Todd Gurley. I'm not going to be taking him. He's undervalued from where he'll actually go. I want to make sure that everybody is chock full of money when Todd Gurley is nominated. I will nominate him early. The exception is if I get the first nomination, I don't want to risk a cold room. If I'm the second nomination, the first one went for under under what I think he should have gone, then I'll still go to the top quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, because Mahomes is going to probably go for more than he's worth in an auction. Or if you're in Houston like me, you might go to Sean Watson. But uh, if you're the first guy, don't risk the cold room with a stud. Risk it on like a big quarterback, you you know. And uh, they'll usually not be so cold for that. And even if they are a little bit, it doesn't matter. They're overpaying anyway on – ESPN. I nominate Nick Chubb. He's way too low on the list. Uh, I will not be uh, interested in him unless he goes way undervalued. So I'll nominate Nick Chubb, unless of course I'm the first one. Then I'll go with Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Now, once it goes there, I want people to spend money. Uh, I'm going to be trying to get my running backs a little bit cheaper. I want them to spend money sometimes on wide receivers. I know it's not a Rotovision thing to do, but I'm going to spend more on running backs this year. Not every year, not some years, but this year, if I was drafting at a snake draft, I'd probably hope to get an early pick to get some of the stud running backs. And that's what I can do without having to worry about draft position on an auction. So I'll spend more on running backs so I want people to spend a lot on wide receivers. I'll nominate Kelsey. I'll nominate the top three tight ends, stuff like that. When we're into the middle of the draft, when everybody has a medium amount of money, that's when I go for the quarterbacks. I think the late round concept or the cheaper concept for quarterbacks has really taken hold. People used to spend a lot of money, like 40 bucks, 50 bucks for Aaron Rodgers, for Pat Mahomes, If you get like 26 to 30, that's good. So I think that people have learned that lesson. So that's how I do it.
2: Yeah, I think that the key takeaway from all of that is with every nomination that you make, with the exception of one scenario that we talked upon in the last episode that we'll retouch here, your goal should be to get as many dollars out of the pool of money as you possibly can. Because in addition to... Perhaps raising the prices for players that you're not interested in, getting more money out of the pool, which is going to bring down the prices that players can go for when you're going to be bidding on the players that you want. It also puts other teams in a position where it's going to be harder for them to compete with you for players. So a great example of this is, let's say that there's one player in a tier for a position that you just know that you have no interest in and doesn't matter who it is. Let's just say that this year, for whatever reason, you auction drafter out there do not believe that Devontae Adams is going to live up to this Tier 1 hype for whatever reason. If you're a person that wants to go after wide receivers or just get money out of the pool, perhaps you drop in uh, Devontae Adams at a point in the draft where you know that you're not going to go after... um, a player relatively soon, so maybe you already have your first wide receiver one, and you're only planning on spending large dollars on a on a wide receiver. And you already have Odell Beckham. Well, then Devonte Adams is probably the perfect guy to drop out if you're not interested in him because he's probably going to go for a pretty decent price. If you recently got Odell Beckham, wide receivers are getting more scarce, and you might be able to create a situation where he's going to go for more than you would like. And I think as you move your way throughout the draft, you should still be thinking about if there are particular players that are in a tier at a position that's getting scarce that you can throw out to really get people moving large sums of money at these players. Um, As I've said before, I don't think that there's much logic in, especially early on, a auction participant tossing out those nominations for their kicker their dst you know that you're going to spend one or two bucks on those no matter what so you're not really changing the way that things are going to flow for you by adding them you just want to get as much money out of the pool as possible now as you mentioned in the other episode you may reach a point where there are one two maybe three players that you would really love to get into the configuration of your roster and if it's taking too long for them to get nominated and you're going to have to move to a different plan if you're unable to get them, then I think it's okay to nominate them. So that's the one time where you can kind of dictate for yourself how things are going to go. So think wisely about when you're going to do that. But it really is all about getting money out of the pool. And given the players that have been nominated prior and the prices that they're going at and those players that are left, that all should inform how you go about building out those nomination selections.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. You want to try to get money out um, so you can get everybody that you want a little bit cheaper, being there's only a set amount of money total. Another thing is if I need a wide receiver and I want, say, the number five receiver there, uh, say Stefan Diggs, for example, yep. and it's my turn to nominate, I figure people only have so much money they're going to spend on wide receivers. They have some idea of a budget. So I'll nominate the number six guy, the guy right below him, let's say, is Adam Thielen, have them spend money on them, figuring the next guy might take another wide receiver and nominate them and not everyone, but a lot of people will just sort of nominate from the top of the list. So I figure that other people, if they're going to nominate wide receivers, the odds are better that they'll nominate number one, then number two, then number three, then number four receiver. So I don't really have to do those. I'll nominate the number six receiver. so as many receivers take as much money off the board that I'm not interested in so I can get receiver number five, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that does. And and actually, that makes me think of one interesting thing that I've kind of been able to take advantage of this year, which is in the couple of auctions that started off with a couple of the top-tier running backs being nominated. So I think like in one, it went McCaffrey... Barkley, and Elliott were the first three players nominated. So people started bidding significant amounts on those guys. I then got to make a nomination, and I threw in Nick Chubb. Uh, Because some people are starting to view Chubb as a top-tier guy. Other people might have him in Tier 2, but by inserting him in at that point there's kind of this psychology that good running backs are going for a certain price. And sure enough, by tossing him out there, he ended up going for more than some of those players that you might have in that Tier 2, Fringe Tier 1 type of running back spot would go. Uh, And that just got more money out of the pool early on, whereas maybe if I had followed suit and tossed up... um, Well, let me think about it. I mean, I guess uh, like David Johnson, right? You know, David Johnson might have gone at more of a price that you would have expected. And then when things got down to Nick Chubb later, there might have been that natural correction that you would see. So there's always things you can do to take advantage of situations like that. And I really agree. I think one solid way to always take money out of the pool is to not- – when you're in a spot where you don't know exactly where to go is to do exactly what you said, and that's toss-up one of the big-name quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers always is going to go for high dollars. Of course, Mahomes is going to go for high dollars this year, and that's a pretty simple way to ensure that some action is going to start to take place.
4: Yeah, I agree. and you're you know, Taking advantage of a psychological principle, the anchoring effect, I mean, they will know that Chubb doesn't go for as much as McCaffrey – well, they're still anchored to whatever high price McCaffrey went. So they're not going to totally reset in their mind and they will assume he's worth more than he actually is. I'll assume he's a lot closer to the top guy than they otherwise would, because as the price drifts down over the draft, the anchoring point drifts down over the draft, too. And so they just sort of will think he's worth less, if you know what I mean.
2: Absolutely, Uh, which also reminds me, too, that one thing that you should make note of is when you get down to the final rounds of the draft, you need to keep a queued-up list, especially in your league software, of the guys that you want to nominate Uh, because what I've got into the situation before is if I'm not paying full attention to that, you just kind of find a name and nominate him. This was back when I first started playing, not realizing that at that point nobody has any money to bid. So it's just going to come back around to me or the clock's going to run out and then I'm going to have that player. So when you get down to the point where teams have very little money, you need to start nominating guys that actually make sense for your team because at the end of the draft, you're going to be getting guys for $1, uh, which is a point that if you've done no auction drafts before, you might not realize. You know, and that's, that reminds me of a great point.
4: When you're doing a snake draft, you queue up the players you want, you know, you queue up the first 30 people or whatever, you know, that you want in an auction is the absolute opposite. You queue up the people you want to nominate that you don't want in the beginning and you queue. So again, you can just go through it and just nominate the next guy. Or if you want to go down to the tight end, you just find the next tight end. So you don't have to do that much thinking in the spur of the moment because if you get to the auction five or 10 minutes early before, you know, you're a little bit frazzled and just a little bit uh, excited by all the action and everything like that, you'll be thinking much clearer before and you can really put down the players you want to nominate. So like you said, so you don't miss one.
2: Yeah. I think that's, that's another really strong point. That probably takes us through the nominations. Now, one other thing that, I think I may have seen people recommend that you do before that I always see people trying to do, and the term for this concept is called price enforcing. That's basically if for whatever reason it looks like a certain person is going to be able to draft a player on the cheap, or even if they're not going to get a player on the cheap, you try to price enforce, making sure that all players are going for high prices or that every player is going at the same price as similar players. I always advocate for not being the person that does this. Let somebody else do it because you don't want to get stuck with that player on your team if you really don't want them. And if you're price enforcing, that means that you're inherently moving the player up to a point where they are no longer a discount. So though you might feel like you can disadvantage another owner, you could disadvantage yourself, which clearly in the scenarios that could take place, your team is going to be in a better position if you are taking a neutral stance and not disadvantaging your team than if one other team in this league gets disadvantaged. Because um, if you, also, if you're doing this, that can benefit other teams. So to me, it does not seem like your reward there is really worth the risk at all. I don't know if you think differently on that, Jeff, but that's always been a big point of emphasis for me. Let other people price and force.
4: I totally agree. You are not the sheriff, and if you are into law enforcement as your profession, when you're doing the draft, you're not on the clock. <laughs> don't do it. Don't ever put out a bid. For more than you would actually want to get the player at don't ever even put out any bid on a player you don't want unless it's like just nominating somebody that you don't want that if you got stuck with them a buck you know you'd be kind of okay if you try which is why is that we said the nominations change towards the end when nobody's got any money left that's when you start nominating people you like because you could easily get stuck with someone for a dollar and though we focus on the money there's another limitation which is roster spots okay once you have a guy in a roster spot he's on your roster you can't you know ditch him to waivers and then get the next guy you can't do that until the auction draft is over so you've just burned a spot and those are valuable when you want to get your sleepers and whatnot at the end so don't because like you said to pick up what you said you know You disadvantage yourself so much more than the other guy. So say somebody's going for 29 bucks and you think he should be going for 35. If you hit and you don't want him, if you hit 30 and nobody goes 31, well, I mean, what was your best case scenario? Somebody was going to go 31, so you'd get an extra two bucks out of him. You've cost yourself $30 for a player you don't want. You've really messed up your entire auction plan and probably your entire auction draft if you were planning on getting a bunch of $10 players or something like that. So don't play Sheriff.
2: Yeah, and the other point that I would make out too, and this goes back to one of the articles that I um, talk about a lot, which was called uh, Supply and Demand Using Basic Economics to Approach Your Auction Draft. Even if you think that you're price enforcing, if somebody buys that player at a price above what you're doing... Then that is what the market was dictating, uh, and not to get too much into the theory, but we'll pretend that in this case, we have a somewhat you know rational market that's operating fairly efficiently, then that player was probably going to go for that price. So for the most part, where players what players end up selling at is what the more or less fair price would be. So no matter what lens I cut this from, I just don't think it makes sense for you to be the person that is price enforcing. Uh, Moving along from that, Jeff, what do you think is a good set of goals to have heading into an auction?
4: (laughs) My goals at an auction? I mean, with apologies to Conan to uh, crush my league league mates, (laughs) drive them before me. And listen to the lamentations of their women. I mean, you (laughs) want to come out of here with the best team. I mean, and just as Sigmund Bloom says, you know, make it not fun for anybody else to play against you. I mean, that's really the goal.
2: Right. So let me let me share some of my thoughts, because I think that obviously any any drafter in you want to crush the competition. But I think that there also is a level of you're somewhat playing yourself against yourself in an auction. And the goals that I generally have set for myself are, I am going to make myself uncomfortable. I'm going to make sure that by the time we get through all of the good players or even elite players, I own at least one or two of them. I do not want to still have my entire $200 budget By the time we get past the first 60 players nominated, I will have failed if that happens. Um, Other goals that I have are to not get tilted or to read too much into what other people are doing or if something gets said in the message board, to not let that affect my plan. And that's something that we will talk a little bit more about later. And what I like to do is make sure that before I sit down, I actually have scribed out these goals to make sure that i'm following them and then i'll have things that i want to avoid and a lot of the things that we've talked about like don't be the price enforcer i will put that on the list um And depending on the different plans that I have, I will um, put some notes from those down onto the sheet of paper. And I think having that there that you're following as you work through the auction makes a lot of sense. But the biggest thing that I'm always making sure I circle that I highlight is making myself uncomfortable and spending my money sooner rather than later, which goes back to a lot of the things we talked about last week.
1: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
4: Yeah, I agree. I'm a big believer in writing things out. I know a lot of the younger guys like everything digital. There's something about pen and paper. I have first of all my cheat sheet quarterbacks and I rank the running backs and the wide receivers together as as I call it flex, just so I know the next guy in value. Um, and I, and again, I know who I, how many running backs and wide receivers I want, but that, I like that that's worked for me. Some people separate them out. I have a separate list for tight ends, you know, even the order of the defense. So I have my cheat sheet and then as players get nominated, I cross them out. And then if, you know, cause my, draft list does not follow the adp sometimes like my fourth guy is there and like one two three five six seven eight nine ten have gone so i'll circle that number four and that's a guy that i really want to get i just make sure that he's not left alone in you know if he's tier two and tiers two and three you know i want to do have a plan b to bail out if it's an important player for me to get i also have Players I'm targeting, so the running backs I target. And as you know, when I started, I used to just have a value for everyone and sort of follow that. Now I'm much more selective. There's only X number of running backs that I want on my team at any kind of a price. I'm not talking about a dollar. I mean at any realistic price. And I'll put out the guys wide receiver. Same thing. So I don't forget about them in the heat of battle. When it's written out or you know typed out in front of me in hard copy, I think that's uh, really good. I also basically type out like how much I think he drowned is worth. So in the in the peat of battle, I don't uh, you know have trouble with the calculations. And then I also, in case I wind up, you know, getting really cheap at quarterback and tight end, which I do, I have I call it QBBC. You know, it's like in a snake if you were taking two late-round quarterbacks because if you're going to take somebody who's QB13 or 14, you probably want to get QB15 with them as well In platoon them. I also have the bye weeks for those quarterbacks, uh, you know, written out along with – so, for example, uh, if you were going to get uh, Carson Wentz. I just do it for the first six weeks because things change so much. Right. Like Carson Wentz is bad week six. Uh, Big Ben, bad week five, Trubisky, bad week four. So any of those three could be combined and get me through at least the first six weeks. I'm not saying that they're all, you know, QB 14. I'm just saying, for example, I know that and I did the same thing for tight end. So I can sort of, you know, put two of those really, really cheap guys together and get something workable for me. But, and again, everything's... uh it out and i also hardwire just while i'm there my computer to the internet so you don't have any wi-fi problems because if you disconnect in an auction uh the yahoo and the espn i can tell you will spend your money for you you know they don't conserve it until you get back in line so you'll often have like some guy you don't want and no money left and uh You know, just having things written down and as uh, non-dependent on electronics as you possibly can in a draft that's, you know, on the Internet, I think is good.
2: That's absolutely hilarious because, A, like that is um, really good advice and that's a really great point. You do not want to have any connectivity issues. Um, For me, it is funny that like I actually do a level of writing this down because pretty much everything else in my life is entirely – electronic and, um, you know, know it's
4: important, right?
2: Right. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So, but like, it's also funny because the amount of times that my wife and I are trying to do things and I'm like, Oh, let me just drop this into a program or like, let me just make a spreadsheet for this. And she's like, no, we have to write this down. We have to write this down. Uh, the one time that I do cave is for that, that list of my goals. Um, anyway, so I talked about a mistake that I made, In that USA Today auction expert draft that I was in, where I was, in my mind, inserting Will Fuller into my lineup at a certain price, as I mentioned, he did not get nominated until so late that he went for substantially less than I thought, and then I was left with a surplus of money where I had really nowhere to sink it. Um, I've made some other mistakes too and, and we're each. That's gonna not talk. really
4: a mistake though, Dave. Because yeah. if you wanted Will Fuller for eight bucks and he went for four bucks and you're sitting there with four bucks, you got the value you wanted.
2: Yeah, I know, but I think the problem was we were so far in that there was no other players of consequence that I could really go after where um I mean, I see your point. Let me say it differently. I think that I could have played things in a much more optimal fashion, perhaps.
4: You could have nominated him when everybody else in the tier you were interested in was gone.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, So that was one mistake that I made. And, And another one that I want to share is something that happened to me in the first expert auction that I did. Um. The draft started off, it was going exactly how I wanted it to. I got four wide receivers, and this was, I forget what year this was, but it was a year in which running backs were going at at ridiculous prices. Even in an expert draft, they were going for significantly more than the top-tier wide receivers were going, and it just didn't make much sense to me, of course, being a roto guy. I kind of wanted to represent the site because I was playing for Rotoviz by doing zero running back and giving our reader something that they could look at and see how maybe they could execute it. So anyway, things start off. I think I got like Antonio Brown, Doug Baldwin, AJ Green, and like one of the absolute tier one wide receivers. And I got them all at maybe like 10 bucks less than the tier one running backs were going for. So I was feeling so good. And I basically just sat for a while because there was a couple other players that I knew I could round out my team with later on. Um, maybe in, if it were a snake draft, what would have been like rounds 10 and 11? Anyways, I start paying attention to the message board and I see people like questioning if I'm even there. They're like, you know, where did Rotovis go? What are they doing? Don't they realize that they have to start like bidding on players. They only have four players on their team. What do they think they're doing? And I let it, tilt me off of my plan. I let it get into my head what other people were saying when I shouldn't have. They didn't know my plan. They didn't know my approach. You know, they weren't really focusing that much on the specifics of my team. And yet I let that get into my head. And as a result of that, I started feeling like, okay, I just need to spend money. So I started spending it in ways that didn't make any sense in the middle of the draft, right? Like once I read this and I absorb it and then I start spending more freely than I really should have. I grabbed a couple of running backs that I normally never would have drafted. And then what happened is because of that, when the players that I was actually focusing on and interested in Mm -hmm. came up, they went for prices that I would have liked to have get them at and felt really good about. But then I had spent this money on these other players because I felt like I was doing something wrong and I should be spending. And That's just not a way to approach things. I don't think that's how you should approach things in life. So like, this is going to be an analogy entirely outside of fantasy football, but it goes back to sometimes just trusting yourself and forming your own opinions and following your own intuition. When I was in college, um, I started off as a political science major. And when I would sign up for classes... I would always look on rate my professor, or we had another thing at my school that you could use to kind of look at professors and get other people's opinions. Well, what I came to discover was all of these teachers that were on there that people said were unfair, were impossible, didn't give out A's, you know, their classes were way too hard, this and that, every one of those professors that I took, I had an entirely different takeaway. I always found them that they were the easier teachers, that they were very reasonable and they were very fair. And that's one of those things that highlights sometimes, you know, not everybody is you. And if you listen to other people and you let them form their opinion, you might be shortchanging yourself or you might make decisions that aren't optimal for you. Uh, And I think that even in a snake draft, you can see this happen. People start talking trash, floating things around, and you let them get in your head and they let you tilt, tilt you off of your plan. And that's something that you really don't want to do in an auction draft. So Trusting yourself is a huge thing to do in something that is as iterative as an auction draft.
4: Yeah, Dave. When you play poker, you learn not to listen to the table talk, you know, unless you're trying to figure out what your opponents want you to do and then disappoint them. You know what I mean? So if they want you to start bidding some money, they're getting nervous that you're going to crush it at the end. So then you just disappoint.
2: Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and I think that that's probably just like good advice yeah. in general. Um, yeah. So what, what are some of the mistakes that you've made that you've grown yeah. from as a player?
4: Well, just, just some of uh, discussion on mistakes. Mistakes, it's incredibly important to admit and go through your mistakes. You know, some of the best academic surgeons in the world have made their careers based on looking at mistakes looking at complications and how to avoid them. Those are much more important articles than I did. Like 100 of these in 99 do great. It's like, you know, whatever. But um, it's just sort of chest beating. But it's really important to look at your mistakes. You know, um, Andrew Davenport from Football Guys wrote a long, I guess, like seven or eight articles on auction drafts. Pretty good. I can't say I agree with everything. But, you know, one of the things is he was sort of you know, tweeting that he made some mistakes and, you know, basically everybody, if you're doing an auction draft, unless you have a crystal ball on you, is going to make mistakes. You're always going to have buyer's remorse. You're always going to have some regret. It's part of what makes an auction draft so fun. Again, going back to the last podcast we did, there is no cookie cutter at blueprint. There is no roadmap you can follow to get from point A to B to C. It's not linear, it invites mistakes it's like poker those who do the best make fewer mistakes than their opponents and that's all it is because you're always gonna make mistakes mistake is defined in poker is if you had perfect information what you would do is a correct move anything else is a mistake but being that poker is a game of incomplete information you can't help them make mistakes uh, you are just trying to avoid the big ones in auction drafts because you don't know what the future holds and you don't know what the plans other people have, you're going to make mistakes. Um, There are a lot of dynamics that are available in an auction draft that aren't. And I'll tell you some of the mistakes I made. You know, my first draft, I made a mistake uh, based on this mono-a-mono, you know, uh, (laughs) the emotion that gets involved. We're not robots. Every person, even those playing like nosebleed poker games, uh, those, you know, drafting and auction drafts is, has emotions that color things. Business decisions, stock markets, everything's colored by emotion. And you need to recognize that and account for that. And I beat myself up after that first draft and the second draft went. I thought a lot better. But I'll give you a example of a mono, a mono dynamic that happens when somebody's bidding and you're going to outbid them. Mm hmm. Uh, for example in the second draft and this is this is pretty funny but um this anesthesia it was a work league the anesthesiologist had four bucks left he is severely <laughs> overshot he had like went does and does but he had like nine players left he had to buy and his maximum bid was $4 in other words he had $1 player with $3 extra yeah he had spent a lot of his money early on alvin Kamara and then when latavius murray gets bid up, you know, he goes to two, and then his uh, employee, the anesthetic nurse, the CRNA, bids him up, so he gets a four dollars, and he and the, the nurse had more money than anybody else. So the nurse had five, and so as the clock's winding down to five, to four, to three, and, and the boss is about to get this guy, he, he you know, needs <laughs> He's about to get the player he really wants. The nurse hits $5, and yeah, because there's nobody else that could have outbid him, just automatically gives it to him. It was really funny. But I don't even know if he wanted Latavius Murray, but I know what he wanted to sort of shaft his boss. So as as I texted him, uh, you know, you better not show up for work Monday, and if you do, you better not turn your back on him. (laughs) But, uh, you you know, I got into that the first draft on Kerryon Johnson. I had my price. And I was a little bit, I don't want to say tilted, but let's be honest. I was a little bit tilted. I wanted to get one of the, you know, top tier running backs, but they were going for so much money. So I grabbed Dalvin Cook. I grabbed Joe Mixon at, you know, cheaper prices. And I wanted to get on Johnson to my third. And I was just sort of dug in being I missed out on the guys. I really wanted to anchor my team and I was moving down a tier. Yep. I wanted to sort of move up the tier for my third. He was the last in the tier. Now, what I should have done is taken my own advice. You know, again, it's like Davenport said. He goes, you know what? I gave great advice, and then I get to the auction. I don't listen to it. And I was the same way. I didn't take all that advice that we talked about last week. So basically, I got stubborn. And I dug my heels in, and I was going against my best friend, who I know liked Carrie Ann Johnson, too. And... The better your friend is, the more you would do for this guy outside of fantasy football. Usually, the more you want to really try to, you know, stick it to him when it comes to <laughs> fantasy football. Yeah. You know, hence the definition of a frenemy. So basically, you know, I was going at it with this guy and I just overpaid for him. And then I compounded my mistake because now I had. Juju uh, Schuster-Smith is my wide receiver one, and I really could have used a wide receiver two, and I was low in funds. And it got to the middle part of the auction. And, you know, just I'm going to reference his articles because he spelled it out. I think they're good articles. But Andrew Davenport, he talks about inflection points in the middle rounds. I don't quite agree with that. To me, an inflection point is where all of a sudden there is a rapid change in... The way things are viewed, for example, Mm -hmm. in a snake draft, you might have your stud running backs in rounds one and two that you think are the better values and you're going for them. When you hit round three, usually the wide receivers, at least this year, become more valuable. So there's an inflection point where the running backs stop being the better bets and it comes to wide receivers. I'm not saying everybody will agree with that, but a lot of people might have that inflection point. I kind of do so. I think it's not as much an inflection point in the middle of the draft. It's just random because how much players go for is the random cross section of who wants that player and how much money those people have left. So if the guys that want Will Fuller don't have any money, he's going to last and last and you're going to get him real cheap. If the guys are just, you know, random chance like Will Fuller and it takes two, right? And a snake draft just takes one guy grab around early in a auction it takes two because somebody's got to bid against you right or else you just get them for a buck if nobody else bids <laughs> so you need two and you'll get these dynamics where the you know two biggest kids on the block with the most money will fight it out and so it's really random chance and in the second draft i realized that and i grabbed alshon jeffrey for just a few bucks not really interested in him i've since traded him but I just had somebody that you could argue would be a wide receiver, too. And that gave me more license to relax a little bit and look for value rather than being pressured. The reason I did that is because in the first draft, I blew it. When some people that would have been a decent wide receiver, too, went for relatively cheap, I said, I'll get the next few guys, right, Yep. for even cheaper, And so I'll save my money because I want those guys more. Well, guess what? Everybody else that had a lot more money than me wanted those other players more, (laughs) too. And if I had just grabbed like the Josh Gordon or somebody, I would have done a lot better than having to bail out at the end and go for, you know, Marquis Valdez-Scanling for a lot more than I wanted, who was not as good or not as highly ranked by most people, including myself, is the guys that could have gone cheaper. So know that when it gets to the middle part of the draft a good price like we said and like i didn't take that advice first time around a good price is a good price is a good price is a good price if it's a good price and you need the player take them
2: lots of good stuff in there and i think that again something that we've harped upon now gets highlighted there very often you are better off spending your money early or spending it when there's opportunities that make sense because your opportunities are going to be limited. Uh, I have done some work for draft day consultants, helping people get ready for auctions. And that's one of the things that I always stress to them. And the most often feedback that I get when I check back in with these people after they go ahead and do their auction is they say, I really wish that I had taken that advice, made myself uncomfortable early and pushed myself because I ended up missing out on guys or types of players, and then there never being an equivalent opportunity for that type of player later on, and in retrospect, the prices would fit into my configuration. Now, the other thing that I I found interesting there is the talk of that inflection point. I think that you can see inflection points in drafts, but the the challenging thing is when you're actually in the draft knowing when that's going to happen. So in some regards, it's more of a uh like retrospective type of thing that you could look at because when you're in the draft you can't always be sure that you reached that point or sometimes when it becomes clear you're already at the point where you kind of would have had to of course correct i don't know if you have a similar interpretation though yeah um well without having read the article you know
4: yeah no uh i th- he was referring to the middle of draft i i it's, it's one way to view it. I think it's a lot more random than that. Yeah. And I, I think anytime you have multiple inflection points, that's really a, a feature of randomness. It's like that uh, book fooled by randomness. You know, I think that uh, randomness can fool us because the human mind is sort of designed. It's a cognitive bias. We're sort of designed to see patterns and mm-hmm. random things like the way the stars are aligned or, you know, the roulette ball on the roulette wheel. We love to find patterns, and I think there's just a lot more randomness in the middle of drafts than we would care to admit.
2: You know, an an interesting thing here on randomness um, that I've heard – Ah, I forget the specifics of it, but basically there was a a statistics professor that gave his class an assignment, which was to like flip a coin 100 times. And he said you can very easily determine the kids that didn't do it and just made it up because they won't have sections where it's like heads nine times or tails nine times because what we view as random is very different than – um what is actually random and a lot of that gets back to trying to find patterns uh which we we might be kind of deviating pretty far off off of auctions here Um, any more mistakes that you wanted to talk about before we look at some of these specific drafts that we were recently in uh
4: no i'm good let's look at your draft
1: factory
2: okay so you have had a chance to look through this usa today draft that i did and i think it, it was kind of interesting what happened to start off the draft so it went this one went alvin kamara nick chubb saquon barkley christian mccaffrey dalvin cook and the prices for those guys were 46 for kamara 33 for chubb 51 for barkley um, 49 for McCaffrey, 46 for Cook. Now remember, prices are going to be different in your draft. But why this is interesting is then Tyreek Hill got nominated after Cook was the first wide receiver that went. I got involved in the bidding for Hill, and something fortuitous happened, which is he ended up only going for $40. Um, which there was there was kind of a risk to this, but the thing was. For me, and having been in this league now for a couple of years, I understand that um, $40 for a guy that I believe is a Tier 1 player is a very good price. Now, I kind of had to consider things there, though, right? Because I don't know what the other wide receivers are going for, but the point is... it makes sense to pull the trigger here because I think the worst that can happen is maybe the other really good wide receivers go for a little bit less, but given the prices that I saw from the running backs, you know, I thought the $40 was a good price. So I just, I just went with it there and what we end up seeing happen in this draft is then Ezekiel Elliott goes for 45. Michael Thomas goes for 41. Deandre Hopkins at 48, Todd Gurley at 37, James Connor at 41. And then we see Earth's George Kittle. They're going in the 2026 range. And then we get back up to Juju Smith Schuster. So Juju goes, and I managed to get him for the 41. Odell Beckham goes for 41. Devonte Adams is at 47. Uh, Julio Jones then ends up going for 47. So I think the reason why I liked this start or the approach here for me really was all of these receivers are pretty analogous. I'm just going to get involved in the action for them, and when any of them kind of go for the best deal that I can get, that's where I'll take them. And, and the other reason that I liked this is because. I'm making sure that early on when these good players are there, I am getting them. I'm sure I could have gone with some, or could have gone a different direction with this, but that's what made sense. And then um, it was interesting that Ertz and Kittle went earlier on in this draft before Travis Kelsey, who ended up getting nominated about um, what's that? Probably like 12 picks later. And I ended up getting him for $33, which I paid more than them than Ertz and Kittle, but it was at a price uh, that I felt okay with because I do think that he's significantly separated from them, and I'm still getting a player that I think could get the same level of points as some of the Tier 2 wide receivers uh, for $33, which sure enough ends up being the price that we see for those Tier 2 wide receivers. Any that thoughts? That was a steal. That yeah. was a
4: steal. Yeah, you know, Dave, as we talked about last time, this is a classic auction pattern for a bunch of analysts, yep, you know, or experts or whatever word you want to use. It is a shallow auction and it's a regular. People are nominated out of order, and the most expensive player is like 40, is 51 bucks, you know, as opposed to 70. Yep. So this is sort of that pattern and this lends itself in my opinion really to a great studs and duds thing yeah you know a strategy
2: right so then I was able to get Stefan Diggs at 33 dollars um and at that point I have a pretty great core for four and then I had that lucking into Tariq Cohen at eight dollars um so so for me, that was a pretty good start. Now, the interesting thing that I think about this is, as we've talked about, there's so many different paths that we could take. So somebody like you, um, in retrospect, might have gone a completely different direction. So I think that you've kind of mapped out how you might have worked your way through this.
4: Yeah, uh, I did. I'll be honest. I just did it for a few minutes. I didn't have a calculator keeping track yep. of money. So I left about by my calculations, which are honestly back of a sheet of paper, I left $17 from my bench, which is more than I would have used. So if I was, you know, I did this in five minutes. So if I did it over an hour and a half or two hours, I would have probably, you know what I mean? I would have kept better track of the money. But I would have probably, just looking on this, and I'll add a dollar on, you know, assuming I would have won everybody that I wanted for a dollar more, going in the the. Starting with the top and going down, you know what I mean. Without the benefit of hindsight, I would have grabbed Christian McCaffrey for fifty. I would have grabbed Dalvin Cook. I'm sorry, not Dalvin Cook. Uh, Can't even read my own writing.
2: No wonder I'm a doctor. Uh,
4: David Johnson for what did David Johnson go? I think I have forty three dollars here.
2: David Johnson actually, if I remember correctly, I'm actually looking for forty
4: two. So I would have gotten him for forty three. Yep. So I have paid 43. Um, I would have grabbed Juju for 40, Juju Schuster-Smith for 42. And those would have been my three biggest studs now. I think Kelsey at 33 is a great price. And honestly, I didn't keep a running calculation of how much money I had at the time. Uh, I might have grabbed him, but if I didn't, I don't have that written down. I'll just yep. tell you who I grabbed. Tevin uh, Coleman for 16 with Breda for 4. Uh, Tyler Boyd for 16, Josh Gordon for 4, also uh, Jameson Crowder for 4, just because he was nominated at a place where I would have wanted another receiver, yep. and I kind of like him, and uh, D.D. Westbrook for 4. I would have gotten Cam Newton for 5, and I would have grabbed uh, Austin Hooper for 3, and also, uh, again, because I'm going later there, and I don't have a tremendous amount of uh, faith, although he should do well, Uh, The Herndon from the Jets, the tight end, Chris Herndon, is it? So that would have been $5 spent on tight. And so I would have had, you know, my studs would have been McCaffrey and David Johnson. Uh, My receivers would have been Juju with Boyd and uh, probably Josh Gordon. And then I would have grabbed, you know, whoever I mentioned for the uh, other for the flex and things like that. And had... More than I wanted for the bench to grab all those $1 and 2 and $3 guys.
2: Right. So – I'll read through now how things ended up for me, and then, you know, everything that you said there gives me a couple of thoughts. So I had Will Fuller for six, Dak Prescott for two, Sammy Watkins for three, Schuster for 41, uh, my kicker for a dollar, Austin Eckler for 11, Didi Westbrook for three, Njoku for three, Devin Funchess for four, which I'm not really in love with, and Kiel Harry for two, Breeder for three, Tyree Kill for 40, Damian Harris for one, Kyler Murray for three, Diggs for 33 Cohen for eight kelsey for 33 and my defense for one dollar now i think that what we see in both of those teams that we mentioned is there's a lot of spending up front yet you end up putting together from top to bottom what i feel like is a pretty solid roster you have your needs at every position addressed you have a mixture of upside Um, You have some level of floor and you have put your dollars into players that really are going to make a difference. So I wanted to bring this up and put some numbers behind it because it demonstrates how Jeff and I took different approaches. Uh, We both spent on those top level guys. And as we said, the pricing in this draft is a little bit lower, but there is a relative component to that. And we were able to put together solid teams. So more than anything, if you leave these podcasts that we're doing your takeaway should be it's okay to spend on these guys and there's all these different roadmaps
4: yeah the only the thing that surprised me the most in that entire draft was $6 spent on the Chicago Bears defense pretty early on. Uh to the listeners, no more than a buck or two on a defense.
2: Yes, so th- this is this is really interesting. A- and it does occur to me now, I think that actually might be like a running joke in this league that like the Chicago Bears defense for whatever goes for a high price. So maybe maybe that's what was going on. Um oh, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, which might make sense now as as I recall this because yes, I think um the $6 for a defense would be would be pretty interesting. Uh, so you did a couple of drafts. I think you might have had a couple. Did you have any points that you wanted to bring up on them? No, I, I thought I
4: brought it up. Uh, one of the things I will say is because I, I, I'm a big believer in mock drafting. Yep. You know, and we talked about that last time. First of all, you need a mock that starts with 12 living, breathing people. You don't want to go against – well, I mean if it's the first time ever you want to go against a bot just to see what that website la- you know lists the prices of right. the players for, that's fine. But I wouldn't put a lot of stock in it. The thing is, people drop out after the first few rounds. And so if you're just trying to see who you can get if you spend X amount of money at the start, you'll wind up with a better team than you might in real life when everybody's pretty much staying to the bitter end. So what next year, and I haven't done this yet, just to compensate for that, I think if I stay there and people start dropping out, I think the move, you would never do this in real life, but I'm just saying in a mock, so you can understand the scarcity you'll have. I'll probably nominate like a defense or a kicker for 10 bucks just to be dealing with about $190 uh, budget instead of a $200 budget. And that'll give you probably, I'm thinking again, this is just what I'm thinking about doing next year to mock. So I have a more realistic view of what the end of the auction can be like and how strapped I'll be for cash. I think that might be a good way to uh, figure out better. How much you'll have and who you'll be able to get if you spend 160 bucks on four people, for example. Just thinking yeah. out loud. That's-, that's
2: that's actually a really interesting concept. Or you start thinking about even if you take this a different direction, like if you say, "All right, like if I have 180 dollars, how could I get through this auction?" And you start looking at different ways that that could have been achieved um, or just or just kind of getting your your head in that mind space. Because then when you're actually in your real draft, you can be like, all right, well, I've normally done this with one hundred eighty bucks. If I have to spend an extra three dollars to get Julio Jones, that's not going to kill me. And then you're OK making those type of decisions. Uh, and again, you're better off saying, OK. It's all right if I spend an extra three dollars, an extra four dollars on this tier one wide receiver. Then, if you have the extra money at the end, and you're saying that when you're drafting like a Marquise Lee or like um, you know another wide receiver that's kind of in that range, uh, I think that we've hit a lot of really um, key points here, um, and I'm sure that we could continue going. I think that. Um, this is something we might just have to do again uh, next year, Jeff.
4: That'd be great. And I just want to say that the last point you made, I think, is really good. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, you want the confidence that you can go a little bit harder in the beginning. And so I think that if you're, like you said, you used to do doing it with a 180 or $190 budget, you'll feel better about doing that because you know you can compensate. The other thing that we talked about right before we started recording that you want me to bring up, yep. I liked your point about you know, not hitting the plus one about just, you know, typing it in so you don't misclick when somebody goes, you know, you know, up, up to by twenty bucks. The one thing that the caveat is I tried that at the start when uh, Christian McCaffrey went, and the numbers were going up so fast I could never keep up with it by <laughs> typing it in. And so about like the end it was like like 70 bucks. And I was like like frantically trying to like not let, the, not let the clock run out before I could, you know, type it in. So I think that's really good advice. But maybe for the first few guys, if you want to bid on them and they're going, the money's going up real quick, maybe you stick to the plus one because for the studs, it probably doesn't even matter that much.
2: Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And, and like your prices, I think at that point are already um, so high that I, I don't think people are going to be throwing out like – Or as you said, there's so much rapid fire that even if somebody's trying to enter in a ridiculous bid, like it might not even make its way into the system. So I'm in support of that. And, you know, I hadn't even considered that, um, I think, for like the typical person that doesn't spend an insane amount of time every day typing numbers or like trying to maximize their efficiency with clicks and everything on the computer um, that actually might be a tough task. So hopefully I'm not leading people astray with that advice, but I think, you know, by like the middle rounds, you'll be completely fine employing that. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Any other closing thoughts? No,
4: no. I really appreciate, uh, the opportunity to do this with you.
2: Yeah. Well, no, I, I think that, um, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, and I'm glad that, uh, we went through and did this. So you do have a Twitter account. I don't know how active you are on it though.
4: I'm pretty active. It's uh, at Jeff Budoff, J-E-F-F-B-U-D-O-F-F.
2: Awesome. So make sure that you give the good doctor a follow, that you head over to rotoviz.com. Check out the site. Um, Just so many great things that came out this summer. We'll have some auction related items. Again, I think that the pieces that I've written in the past, um, if you're really interested in some of the more, in more of the theory going into auctions, check that out. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of great series by some really, really talented writers at the site. So please do check that out. That's going to do it for this special edition of RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the channel. Um, That always helps us out. And remember, it's not a fantasy.
3: Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.